Hey, everybody. It is Brian McWilliams. Um, I am too sick to record an episode. I have an insane flu. I don't know what the hell is going on. Whole family has it. We've had 102 to 104 degree fevers for four days. Feel like just pure death. I cannot record today. So what's going to happen? I'm going to give you guys a glimpse into our Patreon, uh, our Locals Benefit, which is Secrets, Lies, and Cover-Ups. It's a great show looking at conspiracies. So I hope you enjoy, and hopefully I am alive to do a show for next week. Yeah, secrets, lies, and cover-ups. I've decided I'm going to make a better intro for that, but we have to do them more frequently to make it worth it. Something like Lydia Dietz from uh, Beetlejuice where she goes, some people are accustomed to the strange unusual, but I myself is strange and unusual. Something like that. Mm. I have no thoughts. Mm. High energy show, everybody. High energy. <laughs> coming, in, coming in hot with that classic Rico humor. Well, we'll, we'll see, see how how long we could just let it go there with nobody saying anything. After no, I know. I, you know what? I, I should invite Mark to come on the show. I bet he. I actually bet he'd be. You no, know, this actually this, um, really needed a Howie. Uh, obviously, I, I invited that bastard IA from appearing. I miss Howie, but um, <laughs> I know it sucks. It sucks that Howie is uh, so filled with cowardice and CIA money that. He's no longer able to come on our show. Maybe well, you know. threatened to kill him like they threatened to kill RFK. Probably. RFK, RFK is like, I stand with Israel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he was, you he got so much that, shit. You can take that bounty off my head now. I'm full saying what you want. Yeah. Well, it's like, didn't, didn't Teddy Roosevelt get shot in the chest from an assassination attempt and his pecs were so strong it stopped the bullet? I've never heard that. I before. think that's like a that. not not a real thing that happened. It's a, uh, yes, it fucking is. I'm telling you, that's RFK's strategy. The bullets were made very well. Did you see been- that RFK's not to go off talking about RFK, but this is crazy to see that his brothers and sisters all came out condemning his campaign, running as independent. They which take just the makes me want to vote for him the more. Intelligence communities yeah. over RFK. Yeah. Which is- <laughs> quite remarkable not not like the intelligence communities were obviously involved in the murder of multiple relatives of theirs you know we're good complete fucking sell out pieces of crap what, what? why did you denounce him so he's <laughs> running against joe biden is joe biden the paragon of virtue now you can't run against him even if you don't support him like <laughs> his politics you'd be like you know, best luck to you, pal. That's yeah. a really good they point. Called it, they called it dangerous. Yeah. His campaign is dangerous. Yeah. Why? To the lobbyists. That is dangerous to the lobbyists. That's why. Un- insane. All right. By anyway, the way, oh, oh. Um, I, get to, I want to elucidate this ter- Teddy Roosevelt thing. Shrank shot Roosevelt, the bullet lodged in Roosevelt's chest after hitting his steel eyeglass case and a 50 page copy of his speech. So 
He had a little help. Quite his pack. He wasn't. He was he like wasn't by bench presses. Oh my guts! All right, what were you gonna say, Rico? I should oh, introduce the show and people. Well, obviously, RFK. Well, do we call him RFK? The one that was killed is he just RFK? And the current one is RFK Jr. But anyways, RFK, yeah. JFK were were both killed, and in almost all probability. But and I think even J, uh, JB would concur that both John F. Kennedy and Robert <laughs> F. Kennedy were assassinated. I think. Well, yeah, um, I think that's a matter of public record. JB, JB, so the JB's deepest. Well, well, they're you know, both alive. Yeah. <laughs> no, can we back up? But also, uh, John F. Kennedy Jr. died flying a plane, and guess who that cleared the way for to become a senator of New York? Hillary. Oh, Hillary Clinton. Mm. If because JFK Jr. was, I believe, running for office, if not uh, officially, that it was pretty well known that he was going to, and I think he was probably going to win. But someone needed that seat more than JFK Jr. needed to be alive, and we know that someone also has links to a lot of plane crashes. So I'm just saying, maybe mm. there's a third one. I can see it. I can see it. Well, welcome to Secrets, Lies, and Cover-Ups, uh, a show which we have rescheduled several times. And now that we're having it, I have uh, what feels like an upset stomach. So that's awesome. Also, it may start bleeding out of my face here because my daughter scratched the shit out of my nose this morning uh, on this side. And it was bleeding so profusely. I was like holding it for 30 minutes. No go. I was wearing a bandaid on my face all day like, like Jack Nicholson in Chinatown. It was insane. Her little knife nails. Yeah, Odie, Odie, you're asking me how fatherhood was going? That's one of the yeah. things I learned early, how ridiculously sharp an infant's fingernails are. Unbelievable. No one told me this. They're like razors. I do not understand that. Maybe because her fingers are so small and they're so thin, but man, has she cut me up. It's like getting a paper cut, but <laughs> they, just inst- they just carved the shit out of you. Well, anyway, sorry. That's so let me introduce everybody. For those who may not be aware, you should all be. I'm, of course, Brian McWilliams. We've got our man in Philadelphia, JB uh, Joe Boo Lubin, coming in hot. Our doctor of science, our classic skeptic. We've got John Odermatt, of course, Odie, and our legal counsel, Rico, to make sure that our secrets, lies, and cover ups, conspiracies do not cross the threshold into some sort of legally liable smear campaign. Sure. That's what I'm, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Real time evaluating everything you say. Yeah. And now what we're going to talk about today is a topic that I found fascinating. I came across this. I didn't even know about this until I read The Creature from Jekyll Island, which, of course, is the epic takedown of central banking, of the Fed, of war involvement with funding and monetary control and how it's all uh, a Ponzi scheme to fuck the population by the bankers. So the report from Iron Mountain was in that book. And I was like, this is fascinating, but it gets more fascinating the more you read about it. So just a quick poll. How many of you actually had time here to peruse the report in any way? I had enough. Well, I was just going to say I had enough time to read the beginning and the end. Um, Typically, the two most important parts of a document. I didn't get all the way through. That's fine. I wish you emailed this earlier. I I had. 
started to read it today, but I, I only had like literally 15 minutes to look at it. So I read the introduction and started to read the, the substance of it. So I, I did not, I, I'll probably read it later, depending on what you guys say. Well, uh, I, I, I made notes. So I'll, I'll walk through this. There's a certain section I'll read to you guys. We'll read it in full and go through point by point. It's a lot of it is kind of preamble where it, it's like, here's what we're going to do. And then we're going to do it. And then they, they recap it. So it's a lot, it's a little bit repetitive. Uh, Odie, did you have a chance to look it over? I read the uh, Wikipedia page and I went through the uh, the slides, the presentation that some, I don't know, you sent me a link to some like college student <laughs> presentations, which is just pretty good. You, got, you, you probably got an F. <laughs> Instant F. Yeah, I'm sure you got an F. Okay, so, <laughs> so here's here's the interesting part about this, this report. Not only so, it, the report itself goes through this whole convoluted story. Right. So I want to start off by asking you guys if you if you read the Wikipedia, if you saw the story and if you believe which story you believe, because there's two narratives here. One narrative is that this was a report commissioned by the government that sought out 15 men of various backgrounds and commissioned them to come together to find a report on how best basically to control the population, the effects of war, what the recommendations would be moving forward to keep society going forward. So That's completely believable, whether you yeah, believe the actual substance of the report, I think the government funds probably hundreds of thousands of these types of studies, wh whether this was an actual one or not. I could certainly see mm -hmm. this being feasible that the government were like, well, what if there was peace? You know, they have they have Donald Trump sharing invasion plans of Iran. Like, why the <laughs> fuck do we need that? How do we invade Iran? But this is preposterous. Oh, of course, this is definitely theoretically, uh, you know, realistic that they would do this. Right. Wasn't Donald Trump showing the invasion plans of Iran to like Kid Rock or something? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Kid Rock's like, why, why are you showing me this? I shouldn't be seeing this. <laughs> He's like, Kid Rock, yeah, your expertise in bomb to de bomb to bomb to bomb diggy makes me think that you might be affiliated with bombs so now correct me if i'm wrong to build bunkers <laughs> with like bud light car uh yeah packs he's like i've got a bunker destroying bomb and you had talked about bomb to bomb digging so you're clearly the expert in the field here so all right so to go through so they this the one narrative is they commissioned the government commission report and that this john doe had released the report to the public and this guy see uh hold on let me write his name down Llewellyn C. It's a very old timey name, even though it was like from the seventies. Hold on, Lewin, Lewin, Leonard C. Lewin, Leonard yeah. C. Lewin. So Leonard C. Lewin had released this book and said it was essentially somebody telling him and releasing the report to him, him interviewing the person, and then summarizing this report, which came out the report from Iron Mountain on the possibility and desirability of peace is the title. Now, it was a bestseller. It was like number one of the bestseller list. People downloaded it. It was like not that long of a book, 80 pages. Widely read, as Rico said, widely believable. And I believe a lot of the shit is very believable in this book. But then he came out later on and said, well, it was a piece of satire. It was all a big joke. Mm -hmm. So the question is, and maybe we should save this for the end, is whether or not you believe that narrative that this is all a big joke, that it was satire from the beginning, or if that itself is the biggest conspiracy, that this guy was put up to take credit for it, to turn it into a joke in order to cover the tracks of the government. 
Well, well go ahead. Um, I agree. You know, a lot. Of, again, these come to the, these points of confusion because there's, you know, if you ask me, would the government waste money to have some kind of think tank to to question whether or not peace is a good idea? Absolutely, that's a hundred percent plausible <laughs> that the government would do something like that. But also, it's plausible that this could be satire as well. I don't know why that's something to be scoffed at. That someone would sit down and write a this document because this document, um, the parts of it that I read, granted, which is only the beginning and end. So I'll tell you, there's a lot that I missed. There's read a lot like of any, stuff you might have glanced. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like read like uh, your your standard piece of government nonsense that you might come across um, if you're perusing, you know, any type of government agency. Perhaps you're looking for grants or something. That, like you said, the repetition, the stating of the obvious, the the excess. The, these are like 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 it's like it's like a government template for a document, yeah. you know, and it seems like he's following a government template to say something that would seem absurd to the average person that peace is bad. So I can I can see it both ways. They're both plausible to me, which is the position where I am. It could be a piece of satire or it could be an actual report. Um, I can't put it past the government to commission something like this. Absolutely. I can't. So. I don't know where I stand right now. Maybe after you go through the middle, which I didn't get a chance to read, it might swing me in one direction or the other. I got, I, got, I, yeah. I, I read it. I read the entire thing. I made notes and I'm going to go through. Was, and, well, before you start was, so this was published in 67, right? Yeah. Is that yeah. a high time in society for, for satire such like in this form? Cause if you did this now, I, I don't know that it would really, Catch well, the, the Vietnam War was going on right now well, at mean, that like, point. So, just uh, kind of the long form satire, like maybe that was a thing in the '60s, where I, you know I don't think the same kind of form of satire. You know, like now it has to be boom, boom, boom. Like people yeah. attention span to, to like oh, a ninety page satire article. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and a satire. Remember how it's written. It's very specifically written. It's not, it doesn't read as a satire that an everyday person is going to go mm, ha, 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 like yeah. King, King of Queens. This is a very in the, in the weeds. If it is a satire, it's exceptionally in the weeds. Yeah. Who, who would have been the target audience of the satire? I mean, it was a bestseller. So apparently it landed, but again, uh, yeah, from the New York Times yeah. at the time. How, I don't know how many people, I don't know how many copies of a book you had to sell at the New York Times. To be well, it, it, the, the part of the satire is it's not so much like who the audience is, it's how believable you think what they're saying is. And like I said to the average person, the idea that, you know, peace would be inherently bad to society is absurd enough that that classifies as a satire if you want to write something about it. It's kind of like the, you know, what Jonathan Swift, the, the, the short story wrote about eating children. You know, if a, if a topic is absurd enough and you take it and he wrote, I don't know if he wrote that, but it was taken very seriously, you know, but if the topic is absurd enough that and that basically classifies as that as satire, because in the in the mind of the reader, the author can't possibly be serious, which is that all that it really takes for something to be satire at all. And that's but that's what's so incredible about this report is that it touches on things that how in modern day have become very clear that that this is empirically the strategy that's being taken. Well, yeah, that's, that's why that's this book is resonating. Like yeah. If this is satire and it was not anything government sponsored, the government sure as fuck did a hell of a job following. Yeah. <laughs> <People are> like, <laughs> yes, peace is terrible. How can we be in constant war? 
step by step, step yeah. by step. Well, this is also what four years before um, 1971, which would have been when Nixon got rid of the gold standard, which was a serious constraint on government spending. And uh, so, you know, it was a different a different time where it was harder to uh, you know maybe stimulate the economy with yeah. government spending. Not that that's a good thing to do it that way, but just a, a kind of a different lens to look at it through. But I, I don't. I mean. I'm interested to hear about the middle as well, but okay. I mean, just my, just my take now is I, I don't think it, it doesn't read like satire because it's not quite extreme enough. Now you got to look at it through the 1967 lens, which is hard to do because, you know, obviously we weren't alive then, but it just, it, it seems, it seems so, so believable and what, you know, exactly what the government would be doing at that time that it's, I don't know. It's hard to think of it as satire. That's where I fall. So I'll read you guys you, something. Wait, me... before before we jump in, Odie, I'm trying to put my mind in the in in the context of a reader in 1967, and the and what I bring up is, is important is to remember that the Vietnam War is going on right now. Right. And this war, I think, I'm pretty sure from this point, there was a fair number of Americans who thought this war was nonsensical in our involvement, which was escalating dramatically by that point. So if you're in a mindset of that and you read a government document that says peace is bad, I think you're pri- you're pretty primed to to ca- to think that this is a satire of its time, considering the backdrop of what's going on. I that's agree. a great that's a great point. And think about other major events to put us in that that time frame. 1963. That's when Kennedy was shot, and then in 1969. So two years later, that's when we landed. Landed on the moon, as I'm sure all of you know, that actually happened. <laughs> no, it's a very good point, JB. Where I, again, where I feel like it falls apart is that if you were going to make a satire of it, war, you know, pieces is bad. You don't need to make it 79 pages of very in depth and honestly non satirical for the most part. Now, I would say the one part that's satirical is that. Uh, they goes through the names of the people here now. So let me get into it. Right. Um, I thought it was interesting. Okay, kicking it off. It does a, a whole in- intro cloak and dagger. Yada, yada. They met this secret location. They got letters to meet here and there's people. So he goes through one of the things I thought was interesting is just that uh, he acknowledges that the, the average per uh, person has been acclimated to hearing about military maneuvers. He says, Today, it's possible for the columnist to write about counterforce strategy and minimum deterrence and credible first strike capability without having to explain every other word. He can write about war and strategy without getting bogged down in questions of morality. So that, in a way, speaks to what JB is saying, I guess, in that people are so attuned to war language that they should be able to understand the satire. But, yeah. but, but I, I, I still think it goes a little too deep. So let me cut. Let me go forward. Who are but, the members? What? Uh, what? What before I say that, and this this so this kind of paints this picture. I think all and and the flip side, all this arguing is good authorship. We need to think of someone like J.R.R. Tolkien invented like seven different languages out of whole cloth for a world that doesn't exist. Okay, if you want really want to make a good story, you can come up with these things out of whole cloth if you want to, and if you're clever enough. That's all I'm saying. All all you're describing is someone who's a good author. Well, I'd like to, you know what I should have done, and I, if I had more time, I would have done this, is look into the writings of 
uh, Lewin. That would be interesting. Of, yeah. What else he wrote, you know, because he yeah. took credit. So Lewin, he, let, he took credit and said, I <laughs> I wrote this as, as a satire. But again, whether or not you believe it. So let's get into us. They talk about the members of the group, the 15 members. This is what seems like pure satire to me. Which, it, which you probably could have stopped right here. Okay. The simple f alphabetical names were assigned by John Doe for convenient reference. They bear no intended relation to actual names. Abel was the group's Washington contact. It was he who brought and read the dossiers, who was most often acted as chairman. Baker and Cox were the three who had been involved in the planning. There is no other significance to the listing. But you'll notice these are all, except for very, like one of them is alliteration. Arthur Abel, a historian and political theorist who has served in government. Bernard Baker, a professional uh, professor of international law and a consultant on government operations. Charles Cox, an economist, social critic, biographer. John Doe. Edward Ellis, a sociologist involved in public affairs. Frank Fox, a cultural anthropologist. Like uh, Matt Acklin, probably involved. <laughs> George. Cultural, cultural anthropology. That's, uh, That's what his major was. That is. <laughs> Like well, neither did he because he, he, he never worked in it. <laughs> George George Kareen is a psychologist, educator, and developer of personnel testing. Harold Hill, a psychiatrist, conducted in extensive studies of the relationship between individual and group behavior. John Jones, a scholar and critic. Martin Miller, a chemist who has received national recognition. Paul Peters, a biochemist. Richard Rowe, a mathematician. Sam Smith, an astronomer, physicist, and communications theorist, Thomas Taylor, systems analyst and war planner, William White, an industrialist. So that those names, all alliterative. Yeah, I read that part. All, all very much out of a play. Yeah, that's, that's, all, that's in the beginning. So I read that bit. Yeah. They said, yeah, it's not real, Rico. Like yeah, so yeah. I mean, he's like, if... If they were saying those were the real names, you'd be like, okay, this is completely... No, no, no. Obviously, yeah, they're code names. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, I like, do you read that much into it? Like, is he supposed to go in-depth to make them even more generic of names than than what good he point. said? Or Yeah, good point. Or why would you make up... Oh, we'll go A, B, C, down the alphabet, whatever. Yeah, why would you waste your really time making up, making up believable names? Yeah. Yeah. His name's Howard Flambert. <laughs> so you're saying it actually acts against it being a satire because the names are not creative. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no yeah. like reference between the name and the occupation. Like, I don't know, right, like yeah. that would be difficult to do. But if you think of like a, some kind of nerdy name, like JB and you say he's a scientist, like, <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Nerdy name. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. That was pretty neutral, but you know, okay. <laughs> Jobu Jubin, the, uh, I don't even know, geriatric scientist. That's a G. Well, anyway. So there's that. that. Just throwing that out there. Okay. So uh, next part I have noted here is he on, on page 24, they get into it, right? And, and now this is all, again, it's a little bit repetitive. I'm going to read some notes to you guys. I'll read excerpts and then we'll get into reading these things as they condensed. But as I said, it gets into the fucking weeds. So he goes, the world war industry, as one writer has aptly called it, accounts for approximately a tenth of the output of the world's total economy. Now, I looked up, as he said, at this point in time, it was $6 billion, or no, $60 billion. I looked up what the total military expenditures in our current era are, which is 220, wait, 
2,240 billion. Now that seems, that seems wrong to me. I think it's higher than that personally, but that was as of 2020. So it's like 2000, like $2 trillion. 2022. So 2 trillion, 2.24 trillion, right? That seems 4 trillion a year. And that's that's that, that's the that global. seems like a lot of money now uh, per year. It's a lot, but when you consider China's <laughs> budget, I guess really I China and the US an are the only really high budget. But I think yeah, once you get past like the top five countries in expenditure, it starts to drop precipitously. Well, because we pay so, more half of them, right? We pay yeah, data. so we don't have, they don't have to pay for exactly. Them. So like probably not even top five, probably like the top two or three. It like it goes on a cliff. It co- goes. Yeah. Isn't California? Cliff, yeah. Isn't California like higher than I don't know ninety five percent of the rest of the probably countries? that would, that makes sense. Yeah. So, but I thought it was interesting. That he makes. We're well, talking about that, military spending, right? Not military, just, global military spending. Right. Yeah. Oh, right. Never mind. Yeah, okay. California. So I think you're talking about military. GDP. Yeah, I think like there's like a GDP metric that California is like the tenth largest economy on the, in the world or on its own or. Maybe higher than top ten. It's like pretty high by itself, or something like yeah. that. Yeah, right. So, so he sets this point up early because it's then it's setting the table right for why you need war because it is a, a massive amount of expenditure, uh, massive amount of money, and drives the economy. And he also argues that you cannot simply re-educate the people that work in the war industry at this at this time, right? Because he says that how are you going to push them back in the general population, retrain them, et cetera, if you take this out? So. Is that sad? But the people who are making the money are the people who are fighting the wars. The people who are building the bombs and the planes. Because he's saying like they're not smart enough to build anything else. Is that what he's saying? saying (laughs) Are they not willing to? He's saying like which one is it? The time it would take to re-educate them to do something else because it's so specialized, like the missile makers. He's talking he talks a lot about the cold. That sounds like satire. (laughs) <laughs> that's my, that's so, my word this, this nuclear engineer uh-huh. can only make nuclear bombs yeah you can he only can make bombs he can do, do nothing else this man <laughs> hold on the value proposition of him making nuclear bombs is vastly higher though you could re-educate him to do something else but that's not going to be as well oh, he doesn't need to be as far as a generator of economy remember the argument here which we're getting to is that war is the primary driver, I'm going to get to that in a minute, of the economy and must and, and, and also the driver of societal order. Okay. So they're saying that if we take out the arms budget and return it to the consumer, uh, what is considered, you know, returning it to increased consumption in the public sector of the economy, uh, health, as far as health, education, mass transportation, low-cost housing, water supply, physical environment, et cetera, is not going to be as beneficial. So there's to who though beneficial to, to whom to, 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 to Lockheed Martin. Then yeah. <laughs> so like that's like a fraction of the populace. Well, that's the like, idea, JP. Hold on, uh, let me maybe uh, you know, let me jump around because you guys are going to bring up stuff that I'll I'll give you tidbits on. Okay. So they also argue because you brought that up. Let me talk about another. Uh, okay, and it, here's another one. This is from later on to page thirty-seven. Since you brought up, who does this benefit? In advanced modern democratic societies, the war system has provided political leaders with another political economic function of of increasing importance. It has served as the last great safeguard against the elimination of necessary social classes. The arbitrary nature of war expenditures and of other military activities make them ideally suited to control these essential class relationships. 
Obviously, if the war system were to be discarded, new political machinery would be needed to serve the vital subfunction. Until it is developed, the continuance of the war system must be assured, if for no other reason among others, than to preserve whatever quality and degree of poverty a society requires as an incentive, as well as to maintain the stability of its internal organization of power. So, Did that answer your question? <laughs> no. So he's not really. He there obviously there needs to be poor people in society, but I mean, if you look at society now, the poor in the United States, it's it's laughable compared to the poor of you know almost anywhere else in say the third world. So I'm not Agreed. sure. Yeah, like, yeah. Poverty is relative, right? Yeah. Poverty is. is relative. But they also make a point here that the value of a military is that oftentimes you can use it to organize the less desirable aspects of society that are poor. They have nowhere else to go but to the military. And as we were saying earlier, it's not that, it's not that you're trying to necessarily keep the poor poor. And they also talk a lot about decreasing the surplus population in this document. Yeah, which uh, is also not keeping, new. Keeping the elites, the elites, elite, because you need the elites to run the country. You can't just have people free willy nilly. I mean, I, from a from like from a central planning perspective, I mean, that makes sense. That if you are dictating, you know, when the wars are starting, or who you're going to war with, or what's being spent, um, you're going to be able to control you know, the resources and, 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 and be in control of spending the resources. But if you don't have wars or a central, you know, a central uh, idea or central uh, campaign that people are focusing on, then, you know, something else could spring up another business, another, uh, uh, I'm confused you know, about that what we're arguing about here. Are we, operating under the premise that this is not a, a satire now and we're arguing the merits of the ideas or what are we actually discussing here no, that it's not a set well okay. maybe you have a different idea what no 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 what yeah yeah no jb you're right we're essentially <laughs> rico what we're discussing here is whether or not this piece of work is factual or fictional based upon the contents within it and I, it, that's why I'm bringing up what's, what's in the document. So we can, de- I mean, we can still have fun debating the internal, you know, machinations of what they're arguing here. But what we're really getting to is whether or not we believe the narrative that this is a hoax or whether it's a real document. I 100%, here, I 100% believe that the elites of society believe that argument in the paper, whether or not it's satire or not. I 100% absolutely. I was. Yeah, the the Washington elites are like, yes, we need war. It keeps our society structured. Yes, we need war because this Mm -hmm. is how our economy functions. Yes, we need war. We need to keep the poor poor. I 100% believe they believe that. So, I mean, it tracks. I was just going to... It's very interesting. I'm going to reveal more to you guys. Wait, uh, just to add on to that, I was just about to say something similar. And to this point, to this specific point, independent of the economy aspect, but the social control aspect that I, the reason why I kind of, I'm sorry, I lean a little bit more towards satire is I don't really think you need to gather up 
some the fifth fifteen of the probably some of the fifteen <laughs> of the some of some of the smartest people in the country to come together and tell you something a Bronze Age warlord already knew. Right. Yeah. Right, you know, like this is basic, you know, like you know, this is basic. Like three, dude. <laughs> you got like, like you. You said it. Earlier, <laughs> Think about how much fucking money is wasted on stupid think tank worthlessness in order to justify a trial. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you want somebody to? I promise with it. that, but I feel like this. It. This you need it on the base level. This aspect of political control and having an enemy that needs to com- be combated to keep control, it's something that's probably intuitive to anyone who craves power. That's something that you learn very quick. You don't need a think tank to tell you that. Well, but you, you, <laughs> you know, am I wrong? Is Automat, what, you, what no, are your you're, thoughts? You're not wrong. You're, <laughs> I disagree. Here's where JB's wrong. <laughs> JB, you overestimate the intelligence of people that are in the highest positions of power. They need to have somebody else go, yes, this is what you do. They look to, they look to create. Do you think Joe Biden right now is making decisions? Of course he's not making decisions. They it's need not so much that I think that they're them. smart. It's that the idea is old. You don't, it didn't take till 1967 to come up with this concept. Whether or not you're super intelligent, there are people that know this already by that point in validation. human history. You need the validation. Yeah, you but, know, and I guess another aspect of it, I mean, these are military people, or I'm assuming some of the people making this report are, you know, Only military people, and they're very so, procedurally yeah. oriented. I think on, yeah. Yeah. You know, they're very procedurally oriented and, you know, following, you know, step by step protocols. So, I mean, it kind of, kind of makes sense from that perspective that they would want to lay this out in a document, uh, I don't know. Well, think about this what, also, you, though. JB, it's not yeah, the fair enough. Need- they also need a document that's from this think tank of intellectuals, right? Not war people, not historians, intellectuals. If you're to, if you're to convince the rest of the governing society here that we must stay in a, a state of constant war, remember the Democrats used to be anti-war back in the day. You have to convince those people that are anti-war that you have With to data. be in war, right? And this is, hey, not intuition, like I'm suggesting. People. Yeah, yeah, this is your people that are saying this. Professors, uh, anthro- anthropologists. What do you mean by say, you people? <laughs> Ivory Tower types. Assholes. He's basically say, saying. Right, assholes. They say, <laughs> they say you have to be in a state of continual war, right? It makes a lot of sense in that context. You know what? You, I think you glossed over an interesting part that was in the opening. And I was wondering what you guys think. Um so the basis or the stated reason they were having the report in the beginning, it says we're in a, a state, a period of time. And I don't know if this is true at the period. It doesn't really seem like it maybe could argue it was where a perpetual peace was possible. All right. And I would think everyone or yeah. would agree at this point in time now in our lifetime, there is zero hope for an actual peaceful world. But was 1967 different? Was there, you know, more uh, a bigger chance of maybe the U.S., the USSR, China, all working together and saying, "Yeah, we have different economic philosophies, but we do not have to be in perpetual war." I, I was wondering, like, is that was that realistic in 1967, where they could work together? Because I mean, the the Cuban Missile Crisis was the early 60s, right? So that was an example of the U.S. and USSR going to the brink and 
sober-minded people be like, well, wait a minute here. Well, this is fucking crazy. Let's let's back up a bit. Well, we so didn't have social media then where everybody was like, yeah, what? let's go nukes. I stand with Russia. Let's go nuke time. But like, was that possible in 1967? Was that a realistic idea that there was a chance for a, a peaceful world? I, 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 I wonder. I, I, from what I could gather from the beginning, well, luckily I read it, is that it's not so much that they thought like they didn't maybe think it was possible, like in, in the immediate, like in the immediacy, but they is like it was eminent, like they were inching closer to that reality. Like if you, that's, they, what, that's if what they kind of that's kind of the picture that they paint. Yeah, policies they could yeah. get there. You know, obviously yeah. there's still wars, but like you know, maybe yeah. we'll go down this road. They'll go down. Yeah, this road. they're like. It's finally possible for this scenario to exist. That's why they felt. Maybe not now, maybe not for five years or a decade, maybe even two decades, but we're we're getting to the point where we need to think about this. That's what, how I felt like, correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, how they were framing their argument, like peace is eminent kind of thing, and that's bad. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. That's exactly right. They were saying, they were saying yeah. watch out, peace is eminent. And yeah. even at one point in this document, I didn't, I didn't take extras, but they have said that banks should start warning people. And I guess had, so they say, uh, Hey, what will you do if peace breaks out? Because your stocks are going to go down, which, which is exactly what's happening right now. If you was stocking <laughs> Lockheed Martin, the, all, know, all God stocks will go down with peace. There yeah. is no stocks. No nope. company could possibly benefit unless bombs are dropping everywhere. Yeah, well, it's kind of like- crazy. The, the The last two days since the uh, Israeli uh, Hamas conflict, yeah, Hamas, the stock market has been has been doing pretty well. Of course, right, when somebody asked me, they're like, "What stock should I invest in?" I said, "War stocks." Always, I feel <laughs> always dirty, war stocks. Honestly, always, I I don't want war stocks. Yeah, I feel bad doing that. I, I, I don't own any, but I tell other people to buy them. If you have no, no they- soul, then go. They for argued. It. Well, no, they <laughs> argued. Not- like, geez, they argued that peace is imminent and that. You have to have war. Like I, I on page thirty nine, I took this. Allegiance requires a cause. A cause requires an enemy. Right. Uh, the the whole premise of this is that you need war on some level. Now it doesn't have to be explicit war. And then I'm going to get into that because another section here, section six, is on economic replacements for war, and that's where it becomes, in my opinion, very interesting. Great replacement theory. And I really have to pee, but I'm going to read this to you first. Because uh, it gets into some stuff that I think is fascinating. So section six, economic replacements, welfare, social improvements, et cetera. So it says on the long-term basis, social welfare spending, no matter how often redefined, would necess- necessarily become an integral accepted part of the economy of no more value as a stabilizer than the automobile or the old age survivor's insurance. So they're arguing that you still need war even if you try to replace war with social spending as some democrats and libertarians have argued if you're going to spend that money spend it on something here they're saying it doesn't replace war apart from whatever merit social welfare programs are deemed to have for their own sake their function as a substitute for war in the economy would thus be self-liquidating i'm going to self-liquidate talk amongst yourself I, I'm not following the argument. Someone needs to break that down. Why would investing in things other than war 
be a detriment. So I'll, I'll let me I'll explain it before I go. So they're saying that if you if you take the money that's spent on war and put it into social spending, it becomes a, a part of the economy that's built in. It's not something you could control. It's not something fungible. It's not something you could ramp up and ramp down as easily because people just view it as okay. an essential component of their everyday. Whereas war, if you create it, oh, we need to boost the economy. We need to boost whatever. We need to control it. War. If you put it, if you put that money from from war into social spending, you can't have that ability because people view it as it's always it has to be there all the time. You can't control it. But isn't there nonstop, like say, capital improvements you you could do throughout the country for the next hundreds of years, just nonstop capital improvement. So if you're worried about whether or not you're going to have to budget money for something, I mean, think of. And I, I always wonder why no one's ever done this. Like they take all the money that we've ever spent on wars and say the last 20 years, how many trillions of dollars? And you're like, imagine every airport in the country. If instead of st- spending $20 trillion in Iraq and Afghanistan and Ukraine, et cetera, et cetera, and we're, we're not going to, we're still going to tax you and take that money, but we spend it on infrastructure. Can you imagine? Isn't like, that how what China's ridiculous? doing? Isn't that what the UAE is doing? I mean, yeah, pretty much. But that would yeah, be they, they, everywhere. Yeah, they don't really have Here. much of a standing army to to think of, you know. They could yeah. they can maximize their profits in other areas, you know. Um, work towards yeah, like airports, making them less shit, or in um, looking to reduce the cost of air travel, which is you know cheap ish considering to where it used to be. But imagine if it was as much as like if it was like. Like no more than a, a couple hundred bucks to go anywhere you want it to go. How much, yeah. you know, more money you can make that way. You could have underground railroads from here to from New York to L.A. I mean, with all that money, it would be insane. What kind of life people could have? You would never see a broken down buildings, shit roads. I mean, I guess you'd probably always have some. Yeah, but, but, to the, but to the point of the of the people writing this. If you did that, how would you control the population? What what incentive? Like uh, again, this is economically driven as far as a control of the to, population. Well, why do you need to control the population from their perspective? Why do you uh, control for what? So okay. that you're control. always in power. Yes, so you're always in power, okay. and, so the, and then I just, just, as I said earlier, the social the order media. is maintained. Yeah, just the buy the media, the media and Rico, control the please. message. Oh, they already do that. So you don't they already yes, they already do that. And yet, what did we have? What do we just have Biden talk about in his Israel speech? Oh, well, we have to go and support Israel no matter what because you know we may have domestic attacks at home. So he put in that aspect of fear into the domestic population, Rico, for a very now, good reason. Just a side note on How that. How convenient that they just let can, it. Can know, Biden hundreds of thousands possibly, of people come across the border? Yeah, 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 exactly. Biden possibly, uh, other than you know the the people that will always support him no matter what. If there is a Hamas style attack here, God forbid, um, it's likely going to be not homegrown. Um, uh, maybe the lie and say it was, but with. Well, Five million people that cross the border. Exactly. Good chance that it would be someone who illegally entered the country. Now, how would that not fall on Biden? Uh, other than just complete bullshit spin, but people are not going to buy that. If if this shit happens, they're going to find out where these people would be from. That they cross the border illegally by almost direct decree of the Biden administration to make this fucking open borders. 
So I don't know how he would think he would benefit politically from that. I mean, he is deranged. But we're getting I mean, very off topic. Here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the point of these shows, I thought. <laughs> so, no, sometimes. But not this show. Because we have a lot of <laughs> Yeah, we have a tight, tight, tight schedule here. All right, we're getting back here. Yeah, because I, 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 it's already forty minutes in, and we still have a lot to go through. All right, let me get through <laughs> here. So they talked about different alternatives to warfare. One of which I thought was really interesting: future space research projected as a war surrogate could further research. Wait, a minute, I double. <laughs> I swear to God, I, didn't, I can't cut and paste this right, but it says uh, the same thing eight times. So it would basically replace war spending that's interesting because obviously space force has been created we are now seeing and they mentioned this report by the way the sightings of ufos and how this can be used as the population to scare the population into funding spending for defense for research etc coincidental that we're seeing it right now it's one out there Another. But both those concepts already existed prior to 1967. We were already in a space race, and UFO sightings were already in the zeitgeist by that point. Well, he was saying, but he was saying they were they were intentionally pl- positioned there because of that. But that, yeah. it's, it's not prophecy. Let me put it that way. It's not prophecy. No, no, no. That's, I just one, want to highlight that. One, but the next one I think is. So this one, another replacement for war, climate. So it says, nevertheless, and this is what actually really keyed me on to wanting to talk about this. Quote, nevertheless, an effective political substitute for war would require alternate enemies, some of which might seem equally far-fetched in the context of the current war system. It may be, for instance, that the gross pollution of the environment can eventually replace the possibility of mass destruction by nuclear weapons as the principal apparent threat to the survival of the species. Poisoning of the air and of the principal sources of food and water supply is already well advanced and at first glance would seem promising in this respect. It constitutes a threat that can be dealt with only through social organization and political power. But from present indications, it will be a generation to a generation and a half before environmental pollution, if however severe, will be sufficiently menacing on the global scare, scale to offer a possible basis for a solution. That's Continue. interesting. That's Wait. an interesting <laughs> sentence right there, though, that, that it, it would be at least a generation, generation and a half until there's enough environmental pollution or enough. I, I don't know. It doesn't even really make sense. Well, he's saying that like, the, the, the current the pollution increase. continue. Well, yeah. you know, he's saying that the current pollution as it was now, granted, pollution was worse in the 70s. It's much uh, better now. Point. It's much better now. But yet, yeah. how ironic is it? It's The pollution's far better now, far less, and yet we're being told we're going to die far more now than we were then. So assuming if you had like the city of Pittsburgh in the seventies, you know, still mills everywhere. You couldn't see anything. Assuming if that just continued. Well, of course, Odie's calling us from right now with that mustache. Yes. <laughs> Odie, how is the city of It's Pittsburgh actually not a mustache. It's, uh, it's some weird growth. It's from, just, it's uh, just like, soot. I just got out of the film. <laughs> what do you time travel? That's, it just latches. That's just what happens to your upper lip when you walk outside. They're actually exactly. time traveling creatures that live and give you advice. You know what's interesting, though, about this report is someone, assuming, again, it's a real report, someone along the lines is like, wait, why do we have to choose between war and climate to spend our money? Why don't we just do both? Why not both? Hey! <laughs> Bada bing. All right. Let me continue, though, because climate continues. And then I'll go on to these uh, these conclusions. So continued. In this respect, the possible enemies noted earlier would be insufficient. 
One exception might be the environmental pollution model. If the danger to, to society it posed was genuinely imminent, genuinely, quote unquote, the active models would have to carry the weight of extraordinary conviction. Underscored with a not inconsiderable actual sacrifice of life, the construction of an up-to-date mythological or religious structure for this purpose would present difficulties in our era, but must serve, certainly be considered. So this report's advocating for a creation of a religious and mythical model based upon models projecting that climate would be a killer. That certainly has fucking come to pass, my friends. Has it not? Yeah, absolutely. Which, I don't know, does that cut against the satire that they're able to predict the future? Or is that the point of satire is life is so absurd now this is where it's going yeah almost like aldous huxley you know yeah uh, isaac asimov has predicted the future in several of his stories if you want to put it that way yeah. you know Although they would both I, I i mean aldous huxley's uh would be i considered more satire of course asimov wasn't satire more science fiction yeah he's like a futurist really yeah. more than yeah yeah but i thought that 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 those two portions was what got me interested in this. Cause I was like, wow, that was unbelievably accurate. And in the seventies predicting that the climate now granted there was a global cooling, right. in the climate that was predicted as the threat, but to glob onto that now it's global warming. They have the models, the models of these unbelievably inaccurate things that scare everybody. And that we have a cult built around it of people that are literally, you know, lying in the streets, that say we're going to die in five years. That is a cult religion. Yeah, if they have if you're laying, if you're laying yourself in front of a moving vehicle, you're in a cult. That's yeah. Uh, yeah so people are like gluing themselves to roads and stuff in Europe. Uh, it's yeah. like during the U.S. Open, some dickhead glued himself to like the steps. <laughs> yeah, I saw that too. I'm like. I'm sure, like, I think it was, like, in Germany, and I was like, it's like, oh, yeah. like, I don't know what you think you're going to accomplish. It's like, well, I guess we're going to stop using automobiles now. Yeah, yeah. Some dickhead glued himself to a fucking road, you yeah, know, like, like. Everybody's just going to hate you <laughs> dead. And yeah, I, you're going to get your ass like, beat. That's what's going to happen. Oh, well, that's, that's, that's one of my favorite videos I, on the internet. I, I love those. Them. Oh, they're my favorite videos where the guys just, you have climate, oh, you know, stop oil or whatever the fuck they're called, protesters. And you just have angry Russians or Brits get out of their fucking vans and just beat the shit out of them and throw them out of the road and drive by. <laughs> so good. Awesome. It's awesome. All right. So there you go. So there's that. Now, let me quickly go. Unless anybody has anything else to add to that, because I think that's a, a bombshell. Um, the conclusions on page 59. Now, I don't know if, if uh, JB got to these. This was the end. But they have their conclusions, and I'll read them. So, economic war has provided both ancient and modern societies with a dependable system for stabilizing and controlling national economies. No alternative method of control has been tested in a complex modern economy that has shown itself remotely comparable. Political. The permanent possibility of war is the foundation for stable government. It supplies the basis for generational acceptance of political authority. So... So these are supposed to be um, people from all walks of life, you know, with all different perspectives. But it seems that the central starting point always has to be government control one way or the other. Well, right? remember, they're being well, hired by the government, Rico. 
Yeah, but well, no, but I thought the point was to be like, what is what is what is the optimum outcome of, of that, life? No, that is not that is not the premise of this. They're being so paid. the premise is how could government best control everything? The the premise of this is on the possibility and desirability of peace, whether or not peace is desirable or possible. And they're saying that. In their opinion, society cannot exist in a peace environment because it has been trained and has to be manipulated and controlled by war. What? So the way that I see it, and it's kind of like this ancient thing. It kind of kind of goes on to like the quip I said about like the Bronze Age warlord could have told you half of this. Is that what is the fundamental purpose of government? Like going back to like the very first government who ever existed, where people decided to do agriculture, settle down, form towns and cities. What a government is, it's someone who protects you. So if there's nothing to protect you from, what do you need a government for? Think about like think about back from the very beginning. So I think that's what I think that's what they're basically getting at. It's like that is the essential function of war when it comes to government. If you think about what a king was in the Middle Ages, he was a warlord. He was a general. Whenever someone tried to fuck with your patch of land, your duchy, your county, you gathered up some peasants, got your knights, went to the field of battle, and you fought. If you lost, you lost everything. But if you won, you got to keep your lands and your peasants for another generation. That yeah. is like essential. That's why governments exist. Jamie, when we settled down and created civilization, the people who protected us were the people who ruled over us. So if there's nothing to protect you from, they're useless. JB, you just nailed it. I, I, oh, here we go. Here we go. I, I glanced over it. You just ca- encapsulized something in the middle of this paper. Exactly right, my friend. On the long-term basis, a government's emergency war powers inherent in the structure of even the most libertarian of nations define the most significant aspect of the relationship between state and citizen. Exactly. Without war, what is the point of government? What is the point? The whole point of, of government is to organize in order to protect yourself for a war. Yes, you nailed it, dude. But Fuck I think nailed. the whole point of government is to protect the people in power running the government. So they're only concerned with protecting their own power so not uh, like to say that they're concerned about protecting society is that's propaganda they're concerned about protecting themselves well it didn't used to be maybe nowadays but like i said if it was 12 30 and there was a roving band of marauders taking all my crops and killing all my peasants that's gonna hurt me right i need those people you know yeah I have no power without them. That's why I said power, like, that's why I don't believe in this whole, the elite have their bunkers and going to let the world go to shit because you're not elite without an underclass. You need these people. You need your peasants to be a lord. If you don't have peasants, you don't have anything. You might as well be like, yeah, so you need to protect these people or you have no power. Your power comes from these people beneath you. So what your principal duty is, in fact, to protect them. And they took it very seriously because that's where their power base comes from. They're nothing without these people, essentially. They can't just let them be killed, you know? It also works works the other way, right? I mean, they they needed so the people need the king or need the government. Yeah, it's it's more at the the top of the show. It's more reciprocal than we give it credit for. It's much more reciprocal. Yeah. 
Poverty is relative. Use of I mean, relationships. People overall are doing, you know, much better. There's less people living in squalor today. <laughs> Why do you keep making me hit you, Sai? <laughs> I don't like this. Well, if you got out of line, if you didn't, if you didn't obey the laws order, the Lord's orders, yeah, he would, he would smack you around. Yeah. They would put down insurrections because you still have to listen to what he says. But if an outside force came, it's your responsibility to protect them because without them, you're not a lord. Right. You're the lord of bones and ashes. You're yeah, nothing. People accept that. So, you know, like, <laughs> well, they talk about stability in this, stability yeah. and how war is, is their argument in this also. They, I, I didn't go into this yet, but uh, they talk about how war more than peace is stability. Because stability is it, it, when you're at war, you have an economic system, you have a governance system, you have people that are allegiant to the cause, you have the class system in place. And whether or not that war is real or imagined, you have stability. Oh, is that so? So do they they talk to the victims of the war? Did they, if they were going to do this in modern day, did they... Did they go to Iraq and say, but did Rico, war, wasn't it good for you guys? Remember, no, but Rico, remember they're, they're as I, as I was telling you, there's the class separation and that they, I understand I, that the elimination. They also talk about the elimination of population, excess population. They talk about a lot in this document, um, the, how population is accelerating and how it needs to be checked and how war is an excel. And they say that, I don't know if war is going to be enough to check it. They even talk a little bit about in this, and then we're kind of running out of time, but uh, the potential for a viral attack through some means, water, fire, you know, whatever it might be, a spread of a virus, kind of Bill Gates style. So let me go through a couple of things here. Um, I'll go through these are like the conclusions, but pretty interesting shit. So sociological, they talk about in the absence of war, a critical, a critical, credible substitute for war must generate an omnipresent and readily understood fear of personal destruction. That could be viral. That could be economical. That could be climate. Ecological, a substitute for war in this function is the uniquely human system of population control must ensure survival, if not necessarily the improvement of the species uh, in terms of its relations to environmental supply, aka access to food, water, power. Um, I'll skip forward a little bit here uh, because there's a lot of of more results, but we're already in an hour and I want to hear what people have to say. They also, at the end of this, come up with their recommendations, which is for a war peace research agency. The war peace research agency would essentially be one that functions as a... uh, under executive of the president, a permanent agency empowered and mandated to execute programs described that would provided with non-accountable funds, <laughs> so untraceable funds, be able to exercise these different programs that we just heard about, you know, uh, initiatives that would push forward a climate scare, a viral attack on the population to, to kill the population a you know whatever it might be and the question now that presents us oh here i'll read up there i'll read their uh activities the creative development of possible substitute into institutions for the non-military functions matching of blah 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 blah, blah. that's bullshit um 
Nah, I know this is too bullshit to read. I'm not going to go into it again. To speaking to the speaking to the level of detail in this document, it's so inconsequentially government speak. It's hard for me to believe that this is fucking satire when it gets to this point of the recommendations. So, do you guys think somebody? I could hear somebody's audio coming through. By the way, there's an echo somewhere. I would guess it's Rico. I'm guessing it's Rico or JB. I'm going to edit his mic. I'm not settings. even saying anything. What, uh, where's my audio? I, I fixed it, I think. Does somebody have their TV audio on? Nope. No. Maybe it's JB. It's always JB. I can't. Did that fix it? I think it did. Yeah, it was JB. I think I think JB's wife is yelling at his new child in the background. Yeah, I, I can't hear it with my headphones on, I but maybe there's something in the background. Animal. Oh, that, that's thing. coming gone, my friend. That that, that conversation is coming. <laughs> you know, you know, here's what's going to come next. Here's what's going to come next. You know what? This kid's not so bad. We should have another. That's what I was thinking. All right. So the question is, uh, in response to what we've heard, is this a real document or is it a hoax? Or is it a real document that has now been retroactively presented as a hoax because it got out? That's my vote. The last one. I think it, it's it was a lot of fucking effort to make this a, a satire, if that's what it was. Um, and maybe that was the point. Like For any reward, you have to, uh, to put a... <laughs> a great expenditure of, of thought and effort, which maybe it paid off, but it, it does seem to me highly plausible. This is something the government thought about in the sixties, if not still um, how to best preserve the order that they wanted, which is obviously the them on top, the decision makers, the permanent Washington ruling class peace is not desirable for, for them for many reasons. And um, I, yeah, just all their recommendations seem like they've come to fruition. So it, it seems to me that it's pretty logical and, and a starting point. And, and if it was an actual report, it also seems logical that someone said, you better fucking say this was a hoax or you're going to get a bullet between your eyes. And you're like, yep, it was a hoax. That's, well, and, and also, and, uh, let me add two things here. Number one, there's also, after page 74 in the report, an extensive note section, um, you know, a, uh, a footnote section referring to every single thing they talk about. So if you are doing a satire, I mean, you put an exceptional level of research into the satire and you provided a noted reference sheet to every single research paper pointing to your conclusions, which is very interesting. And I will say also the uh, the offer, if you're the government, the offer to this guy to take credit for it where nobody else is going to was beneficial because it was a bestseller. This guy made a shit ton of money off of it. So it's not like there wasn't an economic incentive for him to do it. There was an unbelievable economic incentive because then he could claim royalties. Yeah, he even sued someone who wanted to reprint it. So we claim copyright for the document. So. so what what was his proof? I mean, was that ever made? That he wrote or, it. Well, they settled. He... According according to the 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 article, they settled. Um, I guess they settled before trial. So 
we don't have any public mm -hmm. record of what his proof is. No, no proof. So, so nothing. No proof. <laughs> Seems convenient. <laughs> well, you know. Yeah. So at at the time when it came out, was it released as a satire? No. 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 Um. I imagine was, that that's not normal to do so, especially if you if that's your intention is to 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 make it a believable satire. You just put something right. out there, people just take it. You don't like this is fake plastered on on, yeah, on the I cover. Mean, Why uh, would you do that? No, no, no. I disagree with that. I disagree with that because I think George Orwell's book novel. Typically, if you're putting a book out, you do label it as satire. There's a you you want uh accreditation for it you want to have people know what it is you want to promote it you go on a press tour none of that happened so either this guy was the first viral genius banking on the fact that he could later sue for it getting out there which it seems fucking retarded well no that's not actually what happened it, it just went out of print and someone just decided to start reprinting it without holding the copyright so that's, oh you're yeah that's true you're right yeah he did put it out under his name under his yeah name. It, it, it was out of, uh but then it just went out of print so but i still think I, i'm sorry i i've never seen a satire publish um without the uh, the person for years doing any interviews about it. like let me see when he first said did interviews on it. i'm gonna look it up what's his name again it is lewin something Leonard yeah. C. Lewin. Yeah, Leonard. Even that name sounds fake. It does. <laughs> but apparently he was published C. Lewin. So. Best known. He's best known as the author of the bestseller Report from Iron Mountain. Okay, the Report from Iron Mountain, if you know, came out in 1967. Leonard C. Lewin, admission of hoax. That sounds like a uh, a fake name as well, Leonard. Yeah, that's Lewin. what I said. <laughs> so five years. So five years went by before he said it was a hoax. Five years. I don't know. That to me is very interesting. If I if it were me. If I had, look, if you put out a book like this, now maybe in modern times, number one, if you put a book like this, instantly assassinated, if it were true, that's what also makes you think. If people are believing, if he puts this out and people are believing it as non-satire, it takes you five years to say, hey, it was just a joke. And the government, well, maybe, hasn't, and the government hasn't killed you yet? Well, you're making it sound like it's, it was harder to kill people in 1967 than it is now. As far as I'm concerned, it's much easier to kill people in 1967 than it is now. No, 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 no. they killed the president. So, that's like, my point. That's my point. If this guy had had put this out and wasn't inside on this whole thing, as I'm going to take credit for it as a hoax, I think that it, I think it speaks to the fact that he was. It, it was intentionally released to undercut the government. What they thought would be a leak. Yeah. Okay. So just get a, get a, get ahead of it, essentially, so to speak. Yeah. And that's. I mean, I work in public relations. That is the strategy a lot of the time. Get ahead of it. I'm working right now with an a, a animal rights organization that exposed horrible animal abuses 
with a Coca-Cola affiliated farm and Coca-Cola sent them letters to cease and desist before we even put shit out, get ahead of it. And then they put out a statement saying that it was a one time. Yeah, whatever. I'm not going to bore you with the details. Get. Can you be telling us this? <laughs> yeah, oh, it's, it's, it's behind the paywall. No, it's already, out it's, already, it's already, it's already out there. Oh, okay. okay. Oh, looks like we have some visitors. Yeah, I, it, it's it's already out there. Now it's it's the next the, the next level is what to do next because Coca Cola is trying to intimidate all these media outlets. Um, so now we're that's our fight. But the point is, get ahead of it. Yeah, I could see that. You know, I'm still not. I'm definitely not on the convinced that it's a hoax. Not by not by a long shot. I just don't. I'm not convinced that it's real. I'm still kind of like in the middle, and I can be pushed either way. To be honest with you. I mean, but JB, how do you equate, how do you, I, and I agree. I don't know if I, I tend to lean to the side of it's I'm 75% in the camp that it's real just because of how much has come to pass. You know, one one thing I don't think, uh, I know you need to wrap it up. I think one thing that cuts it against it being real is the amount of time they allegedly spent compiling this report to come to these obviously the, the cl- conclusions they were yeah, like two and a half years, years or something like that. Yeah, like they met every week. Yeah, for like two from a street. But they were getting paid. If it was <laughs> they were getting paid. Why would you on the weekend? Like, oh, I want to go to Vegas this weekend. I want to fuck it now. Thank you, and talk about getting. They're getting paid to do it. What's the fucking rush? These are intellectuals, by the way, which means that they're jerking themselves off in in circular conversations most of the time. It it did say that in the beginning, which I read. They were like they went off on tangents a lot. They're like just like they went down wild. Like, can you you believe it? it Could maybe take yeah. Yeah, paid, and we have caviar, and we're in a hotel. Basically, they just got drunk and. Yeah, it was basically like the you know constitutional convention. Everyone's hammered, and yeah. it took way longer than it should. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, libertarian convention. <laughs> they, did, they did quaaludes, which you could get then. Like, and they came up with this shit. Yeah, they they reached the conclusion in actually a month, and they're like, "We're having a great time." Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I like you guys. How about we just do this every weekend? <laughs> everything. Let's. We're going to call ourselves the the Iron Mountain Boys. (laughs) Which they did, by the way. Yes, they did. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a vote then, because as you saw, my children are are beating down the the gates of Babylon. Uh, Odie, starting with you. Real uh, uh, three options. Uh, Nah, that's two options. Real or fake? I think it's real. Too much, right. too much has come to pass, and it's just so easy to believe that the government would fund something like this, and the incentives are there. Um, and yeah, and, and the last point that you made there, I think that one of the last points, where the guy who came out and claimed it was a hoax waited five years. That's just doesn't doesn't add up. All right, Rico. Yeah, I already said. Yeah, I, I think it's more likely to be real than not. JB. Sure, why not? It's real. Oh. You know, I'm not convinced. I'm not 100% convinced, but let's just say I'm like 51% real. So <laughs> there we go. Hundreds <laughs> of the evidence. Yeah. And, and I'm also, I, I'm convinced that it is real. And, and everything that's happened since was a government coordinated, uh, oh shit, let's try to, let's try to cover this up 
as much as we can because too much has come true. It's too in line with all the stupid shit government would do. And the way it's, it's the way it's written is just it's too on the nose. All right. This is a great secret size coast. We need to do this more often, guys. It's fun. I welcome all suggestions, not only from our listeners, but from you guys. What we want to talk about next. Any any ideas off the top of your head before we wrap it? What do you guys want to talk about next? Have we done Hillary Clinton's kill list yet? No, <laughs> no, because we don't want to end up on it. Well, so. and also, where do you where do you start? Where do you stop? I mean, we if we do a show now, we might have to do a show next week. Special fifty part episode. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we'll just wrap it here, guys. Thank you for me from Doctor Science J B Luberman in Philly from John Odie Odermatt. From Rico Legal Counsel, we have gotten to the bottom of this mystery. Kind of. Goodbye!